Welcome to Gleaming the Tube, the podcast where Kevin and Mike watch a film in which somebody rides a skateboard at some point. Finally, a podcast where people talk about movies. Hello, Michael. Hello. Kevin. So we've got another one of our uh, special edition episodes where we veer off from the world of skateboarding movies into a dive into something somewhat related. And since we did Girl Walks Home Alone at night last week, I thought it would be cool to have a little roundtable discussion about some of our favorite vampire movies, especially given that it's Halloween season. And uh, between you and me, Michael, we do not make a very round table. So we have some guests with us. We have Hanako Ricks. Hello. You are from the Fandom Hybrid podcast, among other things, I believe. That is correct. Fandom Hybrid Podcast. That is uh, that is me. We we talk about a lot of pop culture stuff. Uh, we do a lot of genre TV, fantasy TV, superhero stuff, and uh, we also do a lot of panels in the local um, Atlanta uh, convention scene. So, yep, that's me. Yeah, and uh, we were on a panel about vampires together at the most recent dragon con we were about the Anne rice shows which i believe is on the fandom hybrid youtube page i think people can access that there yes because uh, yes we are talking about uh, movies and not tv shows but if you wanted to hear us talk about how much everyone on the panel likes mayfair witches except the two of us you can access <laughs> that video also joining us is uh filmmaker and bon vivant guy benoit Hello, sirs and madams. Hello, guy. So we have brought three films each to present, and I think we're going to do this round-robin style, and uh, we will start with Guy, since he is uh, the center square. Let's do it. All right. I was asked to put together uh, three my favorite vampire films, and I uh, decided to put those together. And of course, I'm going to forget stuff and and um, kick myself for for not remembering certain films. But I'm going to start things off uh, chronologically, at least for me, and go with I believe it's 1958, and it's the first Hammer Dracula film, the Horror of Dracula, starring Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, and as directed by Terrence Fisher. And one of the things we were talking about earlier before the uh, the cameras started rolling is that uh, horror films in general and vampire films in particular are really very interesting when they break um, molds and when they do things that you don't really expect them to do. And up until this, if you look at uh, vampire films, they were often shot in black and white. They were very moody. And the vampires were sort of these mysterious continental figures who had kind of hypnotic powers and very suave and debonair. And if you look at Horror of Dracula, Christopher Lee's portrayal of Dracula is like feral. He's not a suave, charming guy. He's a serial killer. He's the crazy man in a castle. And if you go and visit him, you will regret it. There's nothing sexy about him. When you see the photos of him where he's got blood covering his face and his his eyes are, are penetrating that, that mask, that's the vibe. There's this scene, I think it's when they introduce him, and instead of it being like Bella Lugosi descending a staircase, it's just him running across a room to attack someone. <laughs> really frightening. And Terrence Fisher directed it. And Terrence Fisher is a very interesting director, in my opinion, because his films are very, very brightly colored, but they were so depressing and so dour and humorless and whatnot. So they're very European in that they're very lush and gaudy, but there's no humor or campiness to them or whatever. So I remember watching that and thinking, oh, this will be a kick, you know, it'll be, uh, you know, a, a wacky time. And I was struck by how aggressive it is. So that's all the way from 1958. And the Europeans were coming to America to show us uh, that horror movies could be a little spicier and a little more violent, a little, a little more whoopy. And uh, that's the one I'm starting with. I'm starting with 1958's The Horror of Dracula. And um, you can't really call it an exciting film. 
because once again, Terrence Fisher directed it. But when it works, it works really, really well. So that's that's what I'm starting off with. Sweet. That's fantastic. Aniko, how about you? First pick. Oh, first pick. Okay, so all three of my picks are more modern fare because whenever you talk to people about vampires, they always have like, there's always the top, let's say three to five movies that everyone always picks. So when Kevin came to me with this topic, I said, okay, I kind of want to go in a different direction. I want to talk about some of my favorites that may not be on everybody's list. Um, The first one I'm going to start off with, I think a lot of people do like is Underworld and the Underworld series. And um, one of the things that I like about storytelling I want the background story. I want the deep dive into the character arc. I want to know how things started and how we got to this point. And one of the things that I love about the Underworld films is that you you take this kind of classic clash, the vampires versus the werewolves, and you kind of broaden that, excuse me, you kind of broaden that definition of as, as far as what started this war you know because a lot of times when you are watching uh vampire movies or werewolf movies uh, i'm just gonna bring twilight into my (laughs) head because it's it's such a pop culture thing but you hear about the conflict and then you don't get into the why until a little bit later in the story but with underground you kind of started in the beginning, you know, you you find out about these vampires, you find out about the lichens, like straight off the bat. These are two factions that are warring with each other. They've been enemies for forever. And then when you get into the background story, you find out that it's actually a love story that brought this on. And I think that that is such a interesting way to introduce a conflict, especially when you're talking about monsters, because you don't really see that as much as far as interspecies romances and um also with this being 2003 when this film came out to have a female antagonist or protagonist who is so powerful who is so kick-ass who doesn't need you know she's not the damsel in distress she doesn't need saving she's actually the one saving the male main character in this movie because they're hunting him because of his blood um it's just one of those films that was i think really ahead of its time for modern day audiences like that wasn't something that we were used to seeing and the fact that they built such a successful franchise you know from that one movie even going back and doing a prequel which actually does a deeper dive into the whole um, relationship that kicks off this war is is just one of my favorites to watch like anytime it's on tv I will sit and watch if I need background noise and just you know want to have something in the background while I'm cleaning while I'm doing whatever that's one of the movies that's always on play in my house it's just it's such a great movie and even now 20 years later it's one of those that still holds up it it's not it's not outdated. It's not, um, you know, it doesn't get old. It's one of those that you can enjoy as much the 20th time you watch it as you did the first. The performance I really like in that movie is uh, Bill Nye. Mm. As, mm-hmm. as I think sort of the Lord of the Vampires. Are, like he was so good in that movie. Those are good looking movies too. Yeah. They're yeah. Really, they are. Really they are. Those- weird combinations of like browns and blues and blacks and you watch it it's like a, they took a lot of risks in just the, the how it looked and it it also mm-hmm. it also features kate at her very beckinsaliest <laughs> yes, very much and also i mean if you think about it michael sheen in that movie you think about him then as lucian and you think about him now as a zero fell from good omens and it's like how are these two even the same people? Just the range that he has as an actor is just phenomenal. But yeah, the casting was great in that one. The storytelling was great. It's, uh, you know, 
cinematically it was it it was it's a gorgeous film and that was back when genre movies weren't afraid to do an idea that wasn't from a pre-existing ip too which you get less and less of now i feel like unfortunately that is true yeah awesome all right michael well i will say that uh i went almost the exact opposite route because um Horror movies are certainly not my first and, and, you know, chosen genre. And uh, vampire movies are something that I enjoy, but I wouldn't say I'm like a, you know, like a, an aficionado of and all. So I feel as though I've possibly picked the three most obvious uh, vampire movies possible, but that doesn't take away from their their absolute quality. And the first one I'm going to start with is The Mighty Blade <laughs> Because it's so awesome, and I will. I my, my favorite story. I I've been a fan of Blade for many many years, like since it came out. More recently, we were you know we were in that that self grinding situation where we were looking through our um you know Netflix queue, and there was just nothing to watch and every streaming service we were looking at, there was just nothing on, and I completely. You know, it just it literally just came up in the queue and I was like, let's watch Blade. And me and my girlfriend just enjoyed the living shit out of that movie. It's so fun and awesome. And Stephen Dorff just makes an absolute meal out of his role as Deacon Frost and the ever reliable Chris Christopherson is just haggard and beautiful in it. And it's just a it's just an absolute fun awesome comic book slash vampire movie and i i I highly co-sign it it's got one of the most memorable lines ever which uh i wish we almost had a i almost wish we had a soundbite kevin of a friend rich borges saying the line would you like to say the line does it involve ice skating yes it, it, it certainly involves ice skating well michael some motherfucker is always trying to ice skate uphill that's true i that truer statement has never been spoken um Kevin, again, uh, we had the same technical issue last time. I didn't want you to drop in a soundbite of Wesley Snipes delivering that line. I wanted you to do your impersonation of that line. So uh, I just don't want to confuse the audiences at all. But Blade is a Stone Cold classic. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. And I, if you ever really want to rile somebody up, tell them that Blade is the best Marvel movie ever made. <laughs> I mean, it 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 literally started all of this. Yeah, yeah. And the scene where they lure those suckers into like the vampire dance, and they have the bl- they literally have a bloodbath. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's intense. And Donald Loge, are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. Don't they grind his head against the side of like a train or something like yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. You, you talk about how how fun it is, and it's a blast, but. It's mean as hell, too. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like Kevin is saying, they just they just throw a lot of stuff out and say, and it's also campy, but in a oh, serious yeah. way. Yeah, it's great. Like the fact that, that Wesley Snipes can keep his face as serious and as mean looking when he's delivering some of the lines. <laughs> it's just like. Wow. If he were to if he were to kind of give a little smirk, I think the movie would be like 20% worse. Yeah. Right. Like the fact that he's able to maintain the tone through the whole movie. Yeah, he's he's mm-hmm. in it. I, I love Stephen Dorff when he says the line, for fuck's sake, these people are our food. That is mean. <laughs> and like, I don't know, geez, yeah, that, that I had not thought of it that way. That had not occurred to me. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But that was also Wesley Snipes in his prime, like the fight choreography, the fight scenes. I I want, when they do this reboot of Blade or continuation, whatever they're calling it, they need to keep that yeah. aspect yeah. in it. And I, I'm pretty sure Mahershala Ali is going to kill it as Blade. But still, it's like something about Wesley Snipes in that era, his fight movies, just, it's like, I don't know, poetry motion watching him. He looks amazing in it. He's got the he's got the flat thing and the long coat and everything. And if you just look at the the silhouette of him, you can be, oh, that's Blade. You know, in the same way that if you look at Captain America with the shield or Daredevil, it's like you, you if you just somebody, mm-hmm. oh, that's Blade. He's got the thing and it works. Blade was pre-Matrix, right? Blade was 98. I think. So yeah, it came out a year before the Matrix mm-hmm. did because 
everyone ascribes that kind of like trench coat look, even in Underworld, to mm-hmm. kind of like the influence of the Matrix. But yeah. I, think, I think there was something in the zeitgeist. The trench well, I mean, coat. I don't know. It's <laughs> something about kicking ass in a trench coat. You know, they do that little flip with the with the tail of the coat. I don't know. Something about it just looks so cool. And it's like when you see somebody walk up in those type of situations and they have the trench coat, you immediately know it's about to go down <laughs> and it's going to be a glorious thing. So, oh yeah. All right. I guess it's my turn. Uh, I've, I've, my first pick is super basic, but I wanted to call out uh, 1922's Nosferatu by F.W. Murnau, uh, which is not like the first vampire movie, but I think it's the first vampire movie that's people still talk about mm-hmm. it with any regularity or they get shown around Halloween with uh, some kind of orchestra. It's the first Dracula movie, even though they can't, mm-hmm. they couldn't legally call it Dracula. It's Dracula. So no, I believe the the Stoker estate like tried to get that movie like it's destroyed. Right, they, they burnt copies of it. Yes, that is true. Yeah, they call him. Uh, he's Count Orlock in in this one. Uh, but yeah, it follow it follows the the Dracula story. Not, I mean, it's not going to say like super faithfully, but it the major beats of like the you know the, the ride on the ship and the visit and um and I think like Max Shrek is terrifying in it. Like the the scary scenes in that movie, I think, are still scary and are still like referenced and and ripped off today. I think uh, you know just the the shadow kind of going up the stairs that aren't necessarily related to the being throwing off the shadow. I think there's a reason why that is still spoken about. I think it holds it better than the 1931 Lugosi Dracula, just because I think Dracula is such an early talkie that they hadn't quite figured out that they weren't filming plays. Mm-hmm. So a lot of scenes in Dracula just feel like, Okay, we're going to set the camera up here, and this is a play. And Dracula would just kind of wander in and be like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> you know, it's, um, and I think, I think Lugosi's really good in that movie, but there, there are very few shots in the Lugosi Dracula that really stay with me, like the ones in, in Nosferatu. Nosferatu, they had to shoot the whole thing in the daytime. There are no night shots in Nosferatu, and it's still scary as hell. So, I mean, that's, that's saying something. That the, the car, the carriage, like zipping around. With the uh, with the uh, Max Shrek as the the guy holding the reins, it's tough. Him coming out of the coffin, people either people either laugh when he comes out of the coffin, or they or they get ill because they they get very frightened. I love Nosferatu. That's a beautiful movie. Over to you, guy. Oh, all right, all right. Let's see here. I did that one, and I did it. Okay, this uh, I'm going to go um, second in. Uh, chronological order and i'm going with i believe it's from 1971 and it's daughters of darkness which is uh kind of like an erotic thriller uh about this european couple who go to a, a chateau and encounter a, a vampiric woman played by daphne Seyrig, who looks amazing she has this lightning blonde hair and huge lips and um, the reason I like it, and I think it's so powerful, is because it takes place in, it was made in 1971, and there is no vestiges of hippie in it at all. It's total art deco, super overlit, brightly colored, um, everything's like reflective, and it looks like it's made out of chrome and tile, and the reds are unbelievably red. And it's a rejection of what came before it. It's a totally forward-thinking movie as far as, like, art design and stuff like that. And it's, like you were saying, it's very campy and very bitchy in its sense of humor. And um, I just think it's great. It's it's not a super well-known film. But it looks like, if you look at the covers of those Roxy Music albums, with the like the preening women in it... Uh, it looks mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, that's a visual that I can immediately. Yeah, yeah. It, it's sort of like similar, like visually to a lot of movies. Some movies that were coming out at the time, like A Clockwork Orange, came out around that time, um, 71, 72. There was Performance. A little while later, you had Don't Look Now, the Nicholas Roeg movie. And they're just movies that are just 
can't wait to get rid of the 60s and start getting into this very, very, very artificial, not earthy at all view of of cinema. And I think it's a stunning movie. And it's just weird as weird can get. You know, you like watch it alongside, like say something like Pink Flamingos, it totally works. So if you get a chance to see Daughters of Darkness from I think 72, 71, please check it out. It is great. So that's a big one for me. I haven't seen it. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, neither am I. I'm going to definitely check that out. I love that movie. And it is weird as hell. It's got those like Andy Warhol, like every, every everyone's overacting. And, and there's nothing, there's nothing about it that's not artificial. Right. And I love it. It's so cool. So, all right, I'll stop talking. Okay. <laughs> oh, you love it. That's a good thing. I love it. All right, Aniko, you're next. Okay, so keeping with my choices of more modern stories, my second pick is Dracula Untold. And um, this film is one of those films, like I mentioned, I like getting background stories and I like character deep dives. And one of the things that I really loved about this film is the fact that, um, you know, throughout history whenever we hear about dracula whenever we hear about vlad the impaler we always hear about how uh, the the terrorizing side of their personalities you don't really hear people talk about the human side you know the uh, the humanity of the person and one of the things i like about this particular film is that that's what the whole film is centered on it's centered on this character, Vlad, who, as a child, was made, um, you know, made to fight for the Turks. He became this legendary soldier. And at some point when he, when he, um, I don't know how you want to put it, when he did his greatest damage, when you see the visual with all of the people impaled on spikes and he realizes this is his legacy, he decides this is not what he wants. He wants to rule you know, his country in peace. So he literally stops being this warrior, goes back home, becomes a, you know, becomes a prince, marries, has a child, and he's leading his country through peace. And you get to see the human side of him in that and just somebody who's living a regular life. And then here come the Turks again, demanding the same sacrifices that they demanded when he was a child. Oh, you're going to give me a a thousand of your sons to fight in my army so that we can take over the world. And he has to decide if his son is worth the sacrifice. Like, okay, I can give them my son and save the country, or I can try to put a stop to this and plunge us into war. And that ends up, you know, being what happens. He, he saves his son. He plunges the country into war, but because he wants so desperately to save his people he makes this pact with this vampire being that's trapped in a cave that hey i will take your dark powers if i you know so that i can save my people and the caveat is if he doesn't drink human blood for three days then he goes back to being a human so he's thinking oh i got this i I can do this i don't have to become this monster i can save my people and still go back to live my happy life. And we already know that's not going to happen. That's not how these things work. But I love seeing the struggle that he has because you see him slowly being taken over by this desire to drink human blood. But he also has this very powerful urge to stay with his wife, to stay with his son, to save his people. And you get to see this, this back and forth with this character, him fighting against the monster he's becoming and trying to hold on to his humanity. And then at the same time, you have these people who he has sacrificed and done all of this stuff for to save. And the minute they find out he's a monster, they turn on him. And it's like, but he did this for you. But instead of him getting mad, like we always see in movies, you know, when the when the good guy turning bad guy gets vilified, they're like, oh, OK, well, if you guys are going to hate me for it, I'm going to go do it. No, no he still sticks to his guns. He's like, hey, 
I did all of this for you guys and you guys better chill out because something worse than me is coming. Now get to your battle stations. Let's fight this war. And it's just one of those things where it really tugged on my heartstrings because you see this person trying so hard to stay the person that he was. And it's only after his wife is, you know, she, she's basically thrown from, uh, you know, thrown from the sky basically. And she tells him do this so you can save our son. That's when he turns into the monster. But even after that, when he turns other, you know, some of his other people to monsters and they get to the point where they want to attack his son, he makes the sacrifice for his son instead of saying, okay, yeah, I'm a monster. These are monsters. We're just going to do this. No, he still holds on to his humanity, even as the monster. And it's just one of those things where we don't see that enough with a lot of these monster stories. Um, And it was just one of those things that really drew me to the story and made it one of my favorites. And Luke Evans' performance in this film is just fantastic. So yes, I gushed, but it is one of the ones that I really do like (laughs) because I do like that you can get a different story of a character that we've all known about and you can kind of put a different twist on it to where you still make it the, the, the monster, but you also show the human side of it. You're, you're really into motivations with characters, which I really like. Because with, with vampire movies, if you think about it, really, the, the prime motivation as well is you got to go bite somebody. And that's usually where it begins and ends. And the idea that, you know, um, you're going to walk the earth as this soulless creature is, mm-hmm. that's a huge thing. And that's something that's really requires further explanation or and most people most people don't do that and it's very cool that you know um one of the things i'm noticing is all the movies we're digging into are are things that take what could be a real easy Mm -hmm. um shtick and and play with it a little bit like whoa yeah what happens if you you know (laughs) if you move to alaska and you're and it never becomes daylight you know, which happens in 30 days of night. Um, and you see the vampires suddenly becoming this dominant force mm-hmm. that they've ne- never been before and how it affects them. I love this stuff. So, <laughs> uh. Yeah, and I was thinking, especially with Dracula, Dracula is often a char- uh, like something that's reacted against. So Dracula is rarely the point of view character. So it's cool that they, yeah. they change that up for this movie too. And because it's it's hard to do something new with Dracula. I mean, everyone has very set ideas as to as to the sorts of things Dracula does. Right. And and also with with a lot of vampire lore and vampire, you know, just characters, most of the characters when they turn, they they either turn for selfish reasons because they want to live uh, forever because they want a legacy, they want to be remembered. And his whole motivation was, no, I need to save my family and I need to save my country my kingdom it's totally non-selfish and that's something that's very rarely seen when it comes to those type of characters Mm. awesome all right michael well then uh speaking of uh the 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 trope of dracula i went with rom stoker's dracula starring keanu reeves and gary oldman and winona ryder and it's so fucking good and so ridiculous it's it's like a movie that is completely aware that it's a movie in every way and everyone is just doing their best job at knowing what their job is and being in a movie about dracula and i love it i love how it looks i love how fucking ridiculous it is i love i love everything about it i i I think in a conversation earlier, Kevin, you had pointed out the one of the great truths about this movie, which is that everyone else in the movie is just sort of doing service to Gary Oldman being almost like in a different movie. It's somehow anytime he's on the screen, it's 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 the good kind of good. But the rest of the movie, it's the bad kind I'm sorry, the good kind of bad, which is my favorite kind of movie. Uh, I love the good kind of bad. And this movie is 
possibly the greatest example of the good kind of bad. It's it's just such a fantastic, massive piece of shit, great movie, and I I love it very much. It's just fantastic. I will go to bat for Bram Stoker's Dracula till the day I die. Yeah, yeah. Tom Waits as Renfield. Oh, but just like you were talking about earlier with um the the when Vlad gazes upon all the people he's impaled, that's the whole beginning of the movie with that like shadow play. Yeah, yes, that's yeah. beautiful, man. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. So good. Yeah, so good. Yeah, yeah. I just kept thinking of the beginning of Bakshi's Lord of the Rings when that was going on. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> ah, yes. Oh. Yeah. But yeah, I I just I feel like it's like everything you're aware that everything is a set. You have no sense of there's a lot of points where you have no sense of like what's up or down yeah, with the rats and the, the whole sequence. Oh yes. Yeah, with the whole sequence with Keanu Reeves is at the castle and there's you don't even get a sense that there's a floor or a ceiling and Keanu Reeves is just I I feel like the, the Keanu Reeves has in his career has sort of found his place and found his strengths but my favorite things is when thing is when keanu reeves is completely out of his element and this is a perfect example of that where he just he's he reads every line with the with the utmost conviction of confusion and and concern it's just fantastic (laughs) yeah there was a lot to be had with that with that movie there was i mean and i'm i'm like you when that movie came out when I was, I want to say like 16, 17, and I went to the movie theater to see to see it. Me and my friends, we walked out halfway because I just don't think we were, it just didn't grab me then. So it wasn't until I was an adult that I was actually able to sit down and look at it and appreciate it for what it is. It is one of like, it is top tier as far as vampire movies. It, that's one of the ones that I said, you know, People pretty much have their top five. Bram Stoker's Dracula is always yeah. in it and, and very well deserved because of what it is. But it's also one of those movies when you that you yes. sit there and you look at it and you wonder <laughs> just how high they were when they wrote this movie and when they did this movie. But it's it's great. I mean, Keanu, Winona. Gary Oldman, you can't go wrong with that. Anthony Hopkins oh, yes. devours yes. every last bit of scenery in that movie. I do mm-hmm. think Bram Stoker's Dracula like was actually kind of hurt Keanu Reeves' career yeah. after it came out because he is he is not good in the movie. And he he seems to be on quaaludes <laughs> for the whole thing and a special type of quaaludes that make you attempt a very poor British accent. I just think it, and I think he has admitted that what was going on in his, in his life contributed to it being a very poor performance by Keanu Reeves. And I think that sort of made that sort of started this whole Keanu can't act thing that sort of plagued him, I think in the nineties. And mm-hmm. I think he started to get out of it, like probably around the time of the matrix, right? right. which is a movie, a movie a lot of people liked. He did, um, he did a movie called the gift where he's, um, plays an abusive husband, and he's amazing in that. But I think it's like one of those, like you're saying, he's one of those guys where they're just always going to be people who are going to remember him as bad accent Keanu. But he grew up in public, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. that sucks. So yeah, oh, he's he's been very good yeah. in stuff. Um, he's he's not good in this one, and it was a high profile movie at the time. But I, I think he's managed to to get past but also jonathan harker in this movie was not the brightest bulb in the cage <laughs> yeah right so it kind of this fits. Is true. so maybe that makes sense that it, they would have gotten well that that's what i mean it totally plays to me he's like i don't know what the fuck is going on i'm right I'm, I'm, <laughs> there's dirt and there's naked people and wolves and this and guy I, looks yeah. old one minute and he yeah. looks young yeah. the next minute and yeah. i don't remember being here and i don't remember going there why is he so obsessed with my fiance yeah it's, yeah it's just yeah, yeah. well it's, you, have, you I, have keanu like trying to play it as straight as he can and then you have gary Oldman literally yeah Harry Oldman is so good in this movie, and I love the way it looks. Harry Oldman is so good in this movie, and there are movies that, like, 
set out to be weird. And then there are movies that wind up being weird. And Bram Stoker's Stoker's Dragon is a weird movie. It really is. And they, they, yeah, they take every risk they can. And sometimes it works (laughs) and sometimes it doesn't. But I, I, well, and there are also moments like with the, um, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of the cat. Nina Lucy. Harker's friend, yes, Lucy. who is it kind Lucy? of succumbs yeah. to dress. that scene with she's yeah, Lucy when she's in all white, yeah, she that scene when she's in all white and they you know they I think she's stolen the baby, oh, yeah, and they come to to, to try yeah. to get the the that that is terrifying, man. It looks so scary and so good, yeah. Yeah, Bram Stoker's Dracula. I, I co-signed it all day long. It's I will fantastic. not say a bad word <laughs> against it. There's a just as a side note, there's a point in in that movie Point Break where Keanu Reeves is the the last honest cop and he has this tantrum in front of the other cops in the office and it's obvious that the other actors don't know what Keanu Reeves is trying to convey emotionally. It's so <laughs> weird. And I'm not, I'm not a point break break fan. Some people love it, but I can't do it. But there's this scene where it's like, what's Keanu doing? <laughs> is this, is this a take? What, what, what is, what is going on here? Trying yeah. to convey here, but. All right. Maybe he was ad libbing. I hope so. Uh, and for my next one, um, jumping forward nearly a hundred years, so we're coming into this century with. Uh, and I mentioned during the Girl Walks Home Alone at Night episode that I have a lot of time for an artsy vampire movie. I love The Hunger, and I love uh, Only Lovers Left Alive, but I really love 2008's Let the Right One In, the original Swedish version. Yeah, that's a good movie that movie mm-hmm. i haven't seen that one. Oh, it is so good it's and um that i think kind of made vampires super creepy again i think you know this was around mm-hmm. twilight time and okay. uh mm-hmm. twilight did a lot to kind of make vampires cuddly and people go, oh you know um and let the right one in is it i think it, it plays things very realistically there's only one character who's a vampire and uh she is i believe like a 12 or 13 year old girl you know and she has this sort of renfield handler and she strikes up a relationship with this 10 year old kid who's being bullied at school and the bullying scenes are really harrowing too so it's got they did an american remake to that they did uh, yes okay okay i really liked actually uh and i just found that movie that movie disturbed the hell out of me um, I, I really came out of that. Like it's one of, it was one of those movies where I went into it and I came out of it feeling like deeply affected. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's, it's cause it gets down to like the, like the, sort of the, like the day-to-day minutia of how you survive as a vampire in this weird modern world where you like, you need a Renfield to like court victims. And there's this weird like relationship that they have in this. Yeah. It's like, it's disturbing the relationship with between the the girl the vampire and her older servant that's the linchpin of the movie yeah because he's deeply in love with her and she realizes that he's on his way out yeah and they you don't realize it until later but you realize these people have been together for 60 70 years yeah or so you know it's not somebody she's Mm. just picked up recently right She's going to get rid of him and she's going to get a new person who's going to fall in love with her and she's going to get rid of him. And you, this has happened. Yeah. Yeah. For hundreds of years. And, you know, we were talking earlier about the trials of immortality. And one of the things is just if you live forever, you're just eventually going to forget everything because you can't have that much experience. Right. Retain all of it. She's had servants mm-hmm. who have been utterly passionate about her, and she just doesn't feel the same way about it. Yeah, she just needs to feed. <laughs> she just and that movie is tough. Yeah, is great man, really. Okay, I got to put that one on my list. Oh, it's it's so good. Oh yeah. All right, guy. What's your last? Okay. 
but bringing it home, playing with Kevin's art vampire thing, I am going with the mighty Near Dark Ooh. from Ooh. 1987, Catherine Bigelow. And that is one of the funniest, smartest vampire movies ever. If you haven't seen it, it's about a tribe of vampires who drive around the country in a Winnebago um, feeding upon people. And you can tell it's it's definitely made by people who have been watching three generations of vampire movies. And we're starting to ask questions like, if you're a vampire and you get a cardboard box and cut eye holes in it and put it over you, can you go out in the daytime? Because the sunlight won't hit you. Yeah, yeah. Cover your windows with uh, saran, uh, with uh, tinfoil. Can you do that? And it just asks all those questions, like, what's it like to be immortal? Um, do you eventually get sick of one another? There, Some of the guys were in the Civil War. Um, some of them were like these aging cowboys. They used the shtick with um, the guy from River's Edge playing, like, a, a perennial 13-year-old. And it's such a good movie. And it's one of those movies that was starting to slowly introduce punk rock into mainstream America where the the vibe of it wasn't metal or or Bob Seger rock and roll. These were obviously people who were influenced by like X and the cramps because everything looks like that. Everything looks like damaged rockabilly and and it's a great Great movie if you haven't seen it. Catherine Bigelow directed it. Bill Paxton is in it. Lance Henriksen is in it. And it's it's a blast if you guys haven't seen it. I think that that's one of those movies that I saw as a kid on um, because it was just on HBO. Constantly. And I yeah. don't I don't I have almost no recollection of it other than that it was like a little above my pay grade at the time. And I was like, <laughs> ah, I, I don't know. I saw it for the first time last year. Uh, the Criterion Channel had a, a vampire yeah. um, collection that they were highlighting around Halloween. And I was like, oh, I've never seen this. And I hear it's good. I should check it out. And I loved it. I thought yeah. it was so much fun. Yeah. There's such a good scene where Bill Paxton puts on like he's got to go feed. And he puts on his finery as this like Southern gentleman thing. And he's just goes stands on the side of the road and he just makes this big like hitchhiking gesture <laughs> where he just like, pick him up. <laughs> it's so great if you get a chance to see it. Bill Paxton's one of those guys who was good in everything. He was. Yes. Oh. Monica, what's your last pick? Okay. Last pick. I had a hard time narrowing it down. I was gonna go with I Am Legend, but I thought about another movie that I was like, hmm, this is also something that is not done very often as far as the way the story is told. So my third pick is the film Priest. I don't know if that's one. That, okay, so yes, maybe a little familiar with it. So this one is, first of all, it has a great cast. You've got Paul Bettany, you've got Maggie Q, you've got Stephen Moyer, you've got Lily Collins, you've got Carl Urban, uh, the late, great Christopher Plummer is in it. So it's got a great cast. And, um, you know, it's this story, they, they start out at the beginning with um, this group of uh priests and they're vampire hunters they're you know they're vampire killers and one of them kind of gets taken what when they try to go um kill a queen vampire and then you get into this animated story about how the vampire how the priests come into play and it's interesting because the vampires in this story are not you know the vampires like we're used to where you get bit you get turned so you're a human or passes at as a human and then you're a vampire no these are actually like monster looking things they look horrible they look gross they're nasty and um you know part of the story is <clears throat> these priests were gifted with different powers by god to eradicate this vampire threat and then like 20 years down the line you have more vampires all of a sudden showing up and they're trying to figure out where it is. And one of the priests 
basically um he breaks the rules of his community to go and fight these vampires the interesting thing about this is it deals a lot with religion in terms of these vampires because the church is the one who created these priests to kill the vampires and then once they were done with them they basically kind of discarded them they're like oh we don't need you anymore so we're just going to put you back in society where um you can't talk to anyone else you don't have the skills to sufficiently make a living so you're just going to drift from you know, random job to random job and you're going to pray and you're still going to be, you know, this uber religious person because that's how the town is run. It's very, um, what, what is the saying there? It, it, if you, if you break the rules, you're, if you're defying the rules, you're defying God. Mm-hmm. And it's that whole religious control and brainwashing type thing where this guy has, to, he has to make a decision, um, about following his faith or going to save his family you know because the his niece who we later find out is actually his daughter gets kidnapped by these vampires and you find out that the the priest that got um taken at the beginning of the film was actually turned into a vampire and apparently in this world he is the first human vampire Ah. so it's a it's a very different take on vampire lore and it's very interesting because you do have these people who have these skills but they're not really super powered they're just trained really well to deal with this monstrous threat and these vampires are like i said you have them and they don't have eyes and all you have is the teeth and they look like aliens and they're really slimy and they're very fast and they jump and it's just they're very scary they're very nasty and it was just one of those where i was like hmm. it's one of those where you, don't, you, you kind of watch it like this because of how gross it is but it's also very good because it deals with relationships it deals with religion it deals with you know, when you are trying to make a point, you know, this, this priest was telling his, his, um, his cleric, he was like, look, these vampires are back. We have to protect the people. And they're so stuck on, no, the vampires aren't back. We're not going to cause a panic. We're not going to scare people that you actually put people in danger. So it's one of those things where it's kind of like, you have to decide, you have to make a decision on what the right thing is to do. And then you have to kind of stand in that while you're protecting the people who don't want to be protected. It's, it's one of those films, but I, I loved it. It, the acting was um, a bit, how do I want to say it? I don't want to say over the top. It wasn't over the top, but it was very serious. I think in some instances, way more serious than it needed to be <laughs> like Cam's, Jagande's character he was just so so serious and so oh I'm gonna help save her and it was just it was a little over the top but also I kind of liked it because of what you're dealing with right in this world those those vampires it's kind of like watching them for me was like watching the zombies in World War Z I was like if those ever come to life i'm done i'm just gonna sit on the floor yeah and just wait and sing kumbaya while they come and devour me because there's absolutely nothing i'd be able to do yeah i have no survival instinct either (laughs) i was i always think if the shit goes down i'm just like i'm I'm one of the first to go it's interesting you bring up the idea you know i don't think i've ever i can't think of another example where if you take away a vampire's ability to just sort of blend in with its own with its own um Prey, food. With its prey, exactly, yeah. And you just turn them into just these like vicious apex predators. It's like you lose there is like it's interesting to me that you lose this. There's like a nuance that Mm -hmm. you lose there, but you gain a whole lot. Like if if they're just these unreasonable, like almost like fast zombie type killers, Mm -hmm. then yeah, you have to just go to war with them as opposed to like being able, as opposed to them being able to kind of like move through society yeah. and and then yeah. even the way that they they procreate like they have a queen vampire and she lays all of these eggs and it's it's, it's kind of, it was just it was one of those things where it makes your skin crawl to think okay this 
this could be the future of vampires. This could be what we're dealing with. And it's, you know, again, one of those things where it departs from the regular lore that we have. But they tell it in a way that makes it very interesting. Like, oh, I could totally believe that that would happen. Like somebody somewhere is messing with a Petri dish and this is what we're going to end up with. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's yeah. What happens if you take away the sexy? Like everybody thinks vampires are sexy and they got this sexy outfit Mm -hmm. and they hang around the nightclub. These these things sound like insects. You know, they sound like big wasps or something like that. Like what happens if we've thought of vampires being sexy, but really they're just these horrible parasites that you have difficulty looking at. Mm-hmm. Really, oh, yeah. that's they're good. sacks with yeah. teeth and they just yeah, it, yeah disgusting. <laughs> the old tooth sack. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. But then you have you have the human component where because he was already powerful in his own right as a priest, they converted him and then he becomes this almost unkillable person because the priests don't realize that he's alive. He has the knowledge of what the priests do in order to kill the vampires. Plus he has their skills and their training, but he also has the powers of the vampires. It it makes it very... You know, like, how do you fight that? And then, I'm yeah. sorry, Carl Urban's version of a vampire in this, I think is one of the coolest looking vampires ever. He's got the, he's got the black hat. He's got the yellow eyes. His fangs look good. And he's, he, it's like a, a vampire cowboy vibe, <laughs> but I'm feeling it. Yeah. So, Carl Urban is good in everything. He is. So he good is. in red. Oh, yeah. He okay. is. Going back to when he played Cupid on Xena Warrior Princess. Didn't see it. <laughs> he's good in yeah. that. All right, he's a talented guy. He's he's one of those actors I, f- I feel like does not get his roses as often as he should. He's like phenomenal in everything he does. All right, Michael. Another Stone Cold classic I want with the Lost Boys. How how are you going to how are you going to mess with the Lost Boys? I love I, I I yeah. I like that it's set in this eerie not LA California mining town or no it's a beach town I'm sorry not a mining town like a weird yeah it's funny I don't have a lot to say about the Lost Boys other than that uh I I return to it every couple of years and I enjoy the campiness of it I love Edward Herman as the uh the the new beau of the mom just trying to make it work who turns out to be a a a, a vampire what would you say is like kind of a boss level vampire? Alpha. I sire. Yeah. yeah. I, sire. I yeah. I think uh like how guys at Near Dark brought punk rock to the vampire film. I think the Lost Boys brought like the blockbuster mentality yeah. to the vampire mm-hmm. film. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that's a that's a very like post top gun vampire movie i feel yeah 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 the and the the like the the, the local kids like know the lore about it with the the comic book nerd element and the and the and the and i, I mean let's face it um Kiefer sutherland is uh another perfect example of sort of overacting a haircut for the ages yes yes it's just it's just spaghetti michael um, yeah, and I, but I, it's funny as I was making this list, I, this list, I also realized I actually hadn't seen the Lost Boys in uh, in quite a long time, and it made me wonder if there's any skateboarding in the Lost Boys because it certainly I was say that. yeah. All of a sudden, I'm like, wait, we we should maybe I should uh, give it a rewatch, and perhaps it'll make its way as a as an episode in our in our podcast writ large. Yeah, it feels like anytime there's a, a movie that has a scene that takes place kind of on Venice Beach, a skateboard will show up. Lost Boys, they marketed this the hell out of the soundtrack. And people still really dig the soundtrack to that movie. It's got Echo and the Bunny Men doing that Doors cover. It's got an excess. It's got that weird, like, hymn they play Thou through the whole thing. So you got that. And then... The ending of that movie with the guy saying the worst thing about this town is all the damn vampires. That makes the whole that that that's line is worth the price of admission. So good. And Diane uh, Weist, who's never who's oh, yeah, never made yeah, a bad yeah, film. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna bring it home with something something home. a little dopey. Uh 
2014's What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, All righty. Directed by Taika Waititi. And uh, this is a, a faux documentary uh, following around a household of vampires. I love uh, anything that kind of gets into the weird banality of evil. So seeing vampires arguing about a chore wheel for the apartment, I mean, for the house they all share is the funniest thing in the world to me. I think this movie does all the obvious vampire jokes like, you know, I can't show up in the mirror. So the vampires are going like little cup, little cup. But I think it manages to go like a step below that and get into these weird familiar relationships that vampires have. It inspired one of my favorite TV shows that's on the air right now as well, uh, which I think takes place in the same universe as the movie, but it has different yeah. characters. But it's the same basic idea of. You know, here's a bunch of immortal beings who are a little pretentious, but also, you know, complete morons in their day to day <laughs> life. It's really funny and really fun. And I love it a lot. And uh, when we were talking about Underworld at the beginning, we we're talking about like the age old battle between vampires and werewolves. Mm-hmm. And the version of that in this movie is maybe my favorite representation of that with uh, Rice Darby as the leader of the werewolves, who's like, really uh into like self-help books and making sure the werewolves don't don't curse and saying we're werewolves not swear wolves yeah and like i think it's so funny that is a solid line i actually i i saw i've seen the movie once but i am a huge fan of the show uh the mm-hmm. the gag in the movie where nobody wants to deal with the, the ancient vampire in the basement sure. what's that Detour. Yes, yes. I, thousand years old. He doesn't have to go to the house meeting. I love that. <laughs> I think that just the idea, right? That idea of like all these roommate dynamics, where it's just like just leave him alone. He doesn't have to do the chore wheel. It's fantastic. I mean, in the show, I think in the first episode of the show, there when they're decorating for a party, and Nandor the Relentless has crepe paper and thinks it's called creepy paper. Creepy paper. <laughs> creepy paper. Multi pack. That's that good. Maybe <laughs> that may be my favorite televised joke of of the century. Like <laughs> the creepy paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that good stuff. <laughs> and I think that is an appropriately ridiculous note to end our roundup of some of our favorite vampire movies. Thank you both for joining us for this. <laughs> This was fun. Uh, So where can we find the Fandom Hybrid podcast? Uh, We are online at www.fandomhybrid.com. On all social media, we are at Fandom Hybrid. We do have a YouTube channel, and we also have a Discord channel under Fandom Hybrid. Fantastic. Guy, is there anything you would like to point the listeners to and or promote? I I know you were filming something recently. Yeah, I filmed uh, a couple of things for the National Park Service, uh, a couple of travelogues, and uh, working on a second little documentary about Roger Williams. So I'll keep you posted on those as we go. Great. So we will have a a link to Phantom Hybrid in the show notes. And uh, I'm wishing everyone a happy Halloween. And hopefully we will see you in a week or two with another episode uh that will involve skateboarding maybe it'll be the lost boys thank you guys for everything maybe it'll be the last one yeah (laughs) thank you very much guys thank you thank you for listening our website is gleamingthetube.net we're on Facebook at Gleaming the Tube, and our email is gleamingpod at gmail.com. Skateboarding is not a crime. Would you guys like to hear my vampire joke that doesn't work that I've been trying to make work for 10 years? Sure. So it, it's it, uh, nothing is about to happen. So don't 
brace yourself because there's nothing nothing about this joke works at all but i still think it's hilarious what do you call a vampire who is surrounded on three sides by water i don't know michael what do you call a vampire who is surrounded on three sides by water count peninsula (laughs) that works it's it kind of sounds like dracula (laughs) But it's yeah, Peninsula. Yeah. Right at the end. They're right at the end. The last couple <laughs> right of syllables the there right. really, really brings it home. 